2: Welcome to the New Books Network.
0: Hi there. This is Kevin Lindsay, co-host of the Systems and Cybernetics podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today, it's my pleasure to be in conversation with Magnus Ramage, co-author of Systems Thinkers, second edition. Magnus co-authored Systems Thinkers with Karen Ship. And he had his, his um, honor today to represent this amazing uh, piece for, for the two of them, the second edition. Um, the first edition was wrote a little more than a decade ago. And um, it will be really interesting to um, talk about these thinkers, these 30 thinkers and their impact and influence on the systems in cybernetics space. Magnus is a Senior Lecturer in Information Systems at The Open University, where he has worked since 2000, teaching systems thinking and socio-technical IT systems. As well as researching the history of systems thinking, he conducts research on critical approaches to the concept of information and on the organizational and social impact of collaborative technologies. He holds a PhD in Information Systems from the University of Lancaster, and he lives in Northampton with his wife, Becky, their children, and their cat, Darcy, who is not to be ignored. So we'll be sure to acknowledge Darcy. Welcome, Magnus, to New Books Network.
2: Thank you very much, Kevin. It's a delight to be able to talk to you today.
0: Well, it's my pleasure. So I'd like to start the conversation where we always do with 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 on this podcast, which is to hear a little bit about your story. What brought you to systems thinking, Magnus? Uh, You start the book by saying it's a a love letter to these thinkers. So I'd love to know when and how this love affair began.
2: So I started my academic career as a computer scientist. Um, I did an undergraduate degree in computing in Cambridge. Um, And I became really frustrated with the very insular kind of approach that I saw to computer systems, mm-hmm. and I wanted mm-hmm. to expand my understanding of how computers worked with people, with organizations, with society, and the impact that they had on on those things. So one bit after another, that led me to be interested in the field of human-computer interaction, and in my early, now when was I, mid-twenties, um, I... Ended up taking a master's in that field in um, at the University of Sussex at Brighton on the south coast of England. And came upon a whole, I, I did an enormous amount of reading that year, just extraordinary amounts of reading. Um, and it was wonderful. And I kept, my mind kept expanding with new things. And at various points in that year, I came upon this the set of ideas around systems thinking, um, and I think probably, particularly first with the work of Peter Checkland um, and his soft systems methodology, but, but but progressively other people as well that um, that had a systems kind of lens to them, and and so it was this idea of expanding expanding consciousness sounds to kind of uh, yeah, it's not quite what I mean. Um, it, expanding our understanding of the world, expanding mm-hmm. um, how we view things, um, trying to... Is, West Churchman talks about sweeping in. is that kind of idea of going mm. wider and wider in, in how we analyse any kind of situation. Um, and when I went to do my PhD, um, which was the following year at the University of Lancaster, um, I got captivated partly by directly by the work of Checkland, but also um, the, I think you mentioned the thing I quote about um, writing a collective love letter to these people. And, and I think it was probably Gregory Bateson's work that I would say that I first kind of actively fell in love with. Um, and I read Fritjof Capra's book, uh, the turning point mm-hmm. um where he brings together a whole set of ideas but but has a very strong passion for Bates and kind of at the heart of that and so for, from reading that book that led me to to read to sort of devour stuff about about Bates and um and about his ideas and about his life. Um and you know kind of one thing leads to another and and right um I found myself reading and reading through through all of these different people, and just the sort of the freshness of of their ideas and the freshness of of the kind of the way in which they were expressing them.
0: Hmm. Um, when I first started getting into systems thinking and and you know started devouring, not to the extent that that you have. But uh, when I started devouring the the content and all of these ideas, I, I had a few different reactions, and, and one was overwhelm, because there is so much to unpack. And so many different connections, and you start going down um, one path and, and you find out the influences on that particular person. Uh-huh. are are so uh many and and so then you, you you need to you're compelled to go to go deeper and it sounds like you you had that experience, but you've gone a lot further than I have in that you have um really uh stepped back and and in this book you've you've provided this really great map for how to look at all of these lineages and 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 why they came to be. And, and the characters who were involved in, in, their, um, in their creation. So I'd love you to talk about that a little bit. I, I feel like at some point in all of this reading you were doing, you kind of went, okay, I can draw a line over from this person to this person. And you provide a, a great visual of the groupings of, the, of, of like where these 30 systems thinkers kind of fit um, on the map. So can, can you just talk a little bit about that experience and then how you ultimately have categorized uh, these these amazing people, um, and how you in a very useful way to the reader of, of your book.
2: So we talked uh,
0: quite a bit
2: when we were working on this about lineages um, or kind of family trees. Um, I think there, there's a there's a thing called the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not a rock and roll fan, but so I've never actually seen this, but but a colleague <laughs> talked about it once. And and the way in which kind of somebody who was played in one band, and you can draw the, the line that they played with somebody who was in a previous band, and so on backwards.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and we had the sense when we were working on this that there were a bunch of kind of key nodes that you could see kind of feeding into the work of a whole set of subsequent people. So um, we were, so there's a sort of both a a top down and a bottom up aspect to this, I think, you would say in the way in which we were constructing these connections between people. Um, In our work at the Open University in in the systems department, which when I started work there in 2000, um, it was about 30 years old as a department. Mm and they had a particular tradition there that was strongly influenced by Checkland by soft systems methodology, um, and so so we sort of saw initially from that perspective and looking at well what led to Checkland to do the work that he did and what fed into that, mm-hmm. um, and so we were sort of I guess. Um, Checkland is about halfway through the book, and there is a sense in which that, that work is quite central, actually, to, uh, to the way in which we've constructed the connections between people. Right. Um, but also, there, there's these two kind of big traditions. So, so that's a kind of bottom-up approach. Um, and to some extent, we did that with one or two other schools of thought. Um, but there's also a top-down way of handling it, which we, we knew very well, when a lot of people say systems thinking they're thinking of um of general systems theory and the tradition which arguably begins with ludwig von bertalanffy um and I say arguably because i know that others some people say that it should begin earlier um but but you know there there's a discernible tradition that started in the 1930s-ish with Berta Lanthe's writing on, on organismic biology and then right. directly led into the creation of the, the Society for General Systems Research in 1954. That's um, now the International Society for, for System Sciences. Um, so you've got that tradition around general systems and then you've got another tradition which is uh, more or less coming from a different place around cybernetics and starting with the work of Norbert Wiener and then the Macy conferences in the mid 40s mid to late 40s um and that and creating a whole set of its own traditions and you know then subsequently there's some coalescence between those two but but we sort of we saw those as, as key starting points uh general systems theory and cybernetics um and and then outside of that <coughs> excuse me outside of the uh the general systems theory and cybernetics kind of nodes there's a slightly separate tradition around systems analysis, um which we wanted to reflect and respect but and you know it kind of resembles some of the others and and it's latterly drawn on some of the other work quite strongly but but it's coming from mm-hmm. a different place It's coming. Mm-hmm. from a different starting point. Um, so that was another tradition. Um, so you've kind of got three of those. Uh, you've also got um, the work, as I say, around soft systems that, that Peter Checkland to some extent began along or drawing on and relating to the work of Ross Ackoff and uh, West Churchman. Um, and also you have... And then that that leads into into an approach on critical systems thinking. Um, So we kind of group those together, soft and critical systems. Um, And separate from from all of those is work on complexity theory, which is kind of related to cybernetics in particular, in in various ways that you can see that in terms of the lineages. but kind of isn't as well. Um, so that forms a little set of groupings by itself. And um, so that was those were five of our groupings in the book. And then we have two more groupings. One is around um a second kind of wave, the second wave of cyberneticians, um mm-hmm. from from about the nineteen sixties onwards, which um in a rather unadventurous way we, we just talk about early cybernetics and late cybernetics it's perhaps the least analytic kind of way of describing that you know
0: just purely why well, do you want to I, I i do want to get into that a little bit with you in a bit so finish finish this okay, part well, of how you're, you're kind of laying this out and then i i would love to poke on that a little bit more
2: we'll do that later then um and and then the last category is around um learning systems as we call it uh, which is um people who are who are kind of essentially learning theorists or people who are concerned with with organizational learning um but who kind of didn't fit into the other traditions um and then they kind of could have as well um we we the other day I was I was re-looking at a set of um different versions of these these groupings so we have seven groupings that as we ended up with them in the book but at various points we had um we had kind of put some some of we had six groupings at one point and we had put all of the people who are now in the learning systems grouping mm-hmm. in, in different places um and then we realized that there was a kind of commonality to those people and we wanted to to respect that as, as its own thread of thinking
0: right um that's you made the comment minute. in the early part of the book, uh, just about some of the decisions that you've had to make. And as you, as you, as you contemplated the the second edition, uh, I know you grappled with, you know, hey, you know, should we include more? Um, you were asked, why didn't you include some of these other other thinkers? And you know, you provide some practical reasons for 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 why, uh, you know, you kind of maintained the the, the current grouping groupings and, and and the thinkers that you cover but I'd love you to just talk a little bit about that more you know just you know if you were to write a third edition would 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 there be a another grouping for these these other emerging thinkers or you know the the thinkers who have emerged over the last 25 30 years that you really don't know what to do with right now i mean what what is ch- what is changing and i, I guess um, what have you observed you know you you're looking uh, back at a very rich history and i'm just kind of wondering where where it would be going in your opinion
2: yeah you said you weren't going to ask questions that were really difficult
0: and give you some time to think about it no it's, um, it's
2: it's such an interesting question is what i really mean of course um that because it's where where things are going and how we would do it differently now. Um I find it really difficult to say. Um mm-hmm. I can say that there are people who I deeply regret not including uh who, who might have been included in in the book, um, of which the two particular names that I keep coming back to, one is Joanna Macy,
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, and the other would be Gordon Pask. Mm-hmm. Um from quite different kinds of traditions. Um, sure. In terms of who we would include now, and ha- how I see things going, um, that's really difficult to answer. Um, sure. I think a, para- a sort of side answer to that question is that I actually don't think you can answer it in the moment. But one of the things that I mm. that I realised in in coming to as we were selecting these authors, is that it's really there's a real sense of historical contingency about who gets considered to be a really kind of significant person in in subsequent times, and and who doesn't, yeah. you know, I mean this, this must always oh, be really the case, with, yeah, you know it's it's and and I I think I mean I look at um, people now who I find really interesting. Um, and I think, what's the difference between these people uh, and the people who are in the book? And and some, some of that is, is probably just the way in which other people use their work and kind of draw upon it and develop it. And it gets used and used and used and so it becomes prominent and it becomes familiar. Um, some of it is to do with, um, the passage of time. Um, and so, and then, again, that's a familiarity thing, I guess. Um, but, but some of it is just, it's just blind luck, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I really appreciate the point you're making, though, that, you know, it's going to take, you know, hindsight to be able to kind of appreciate uh, this, the, the, the work and its impact and the connections that have occurred. In order for us to say, look, this other area of systems thinking has emerged, and and we're going to need that um, uh, to be have that vantage to be able to look back at. I I, I get that, so I won't I won't ask you too many more future oriented uh, questions. I ask you to predict, maybe a couple, but I will say. So um, you did say that uh, you talked a little bit about what inspired your work and 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 guided your work at the beginning of your career. Um particularly at uh, at open university um but I want to put you on the spot and ask, do you have a favorite just in 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 your time um you know studying these uh, these amazing thinkers and uh, just kind of getting into their work um, have you been particularly inspired by by someone um, and do you see their work as as just really important and uh, really influential uh, and 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 maybe and maybe the other part of that question I'd like to ask is maybe is there is there anyone who has been what you would maybe consider underappreciated or not as well known as they as they should be so kind of a two-part question
2: um so in some sense the the answer to the question is all of the 30 people in the book because quite genuinely i I, I do I did find myself um just loving them all, you know.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um and spending this time with each of them felt like such a privilege. Um, but that's not a good enough course answer. Um and I mean I've said already that my I have this kind of very long-lasting passion for, for Gregory Bateson's work. Um I I found in recent times as much inspiration actually from uh, mary catherine bates and his daughter's uh writings she died earlier this year um mm-hmm. and uh last year in the previous year i was i was doing some writing for a new module at, at the university and um i was drawing quite a lot on mary catherine's writing and there's just such a kind of beauty to the way that she wrote such an elegance and and breadth as well and, and mm-hmm. i think her work you know she's kind of well known but she's not as well known as she deserves to be um and another person who i have had a similar kind of experience with is, which is in a paradoxical kind of way is the work of donald Schön. um i mean mm-hmm. Schön is is super famous for his his work on the reflective practitioner um and on and his work on organizational learning. Uh, but I found reading some of his other writings that um particularly his um he wrote a book called Beyond the Stable State in 1971, um based on a set of lectures for the British Broadcasting Corporation in 1970, um which was the year that I was born. Uh, and but you know you can read these lectures and read the book and it feels like it's written today. He's talking about um, society being an, in an unstable condition, um, about the need for, for learning, the need for society to be, to be in continual transformation. To, he has this phrase, learning society. Um, and it's so kind of timely that, um, and so Schoen, I feel is somebody who is I mean even actually the reflective practitioner itself um, it's it's kind of cited more than it's read you know um, he's he's somebody whose whose ideas are so good and so interesting um, that they they deserve to be kind of read and engaged with at, at a much longer and deeper level than than they often get Hmm. so there's two answers for you yeah i could i could could give you a passionate statement about most of the other people in this book to be honest
0: well you know it 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 comes through in in the book uh and i should just uh mention to listeners that you know every every chapter um provides a a great um um, biography really on, on, on the thinker and, and, and their work and, uh, the impact it's had. And, but you also provide interesting insight into kind of what was going on in the world at that time, what was going on for that individual and, um, and what really influenced his or her work. So I, I think that I really appreciate that and listeners will really appreciate that insight. Um, but the other part of the chapter is, is, is some of the work that you include. You include a snippet of the writings of, of the uh, various systems thinkers, um, something that you've chosen and, and and curated for the book. So it's, it's very helpful to have that. And, you know, each chapter is very consumable because it's short and, uh, you know, you can be flipping through the book and finding a particular person and just, and, and read that chapter. So it's, 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 it's wonderful and easy to to consume from that perspective. So I, you've, you've put it together really nicely.
2: Yeah. Let's go okay. back
0: to um, Let's go back to Bateson, though. You know, you start the book with the early cyberneticians and, and Gregory Bateson in particular, and um, I'm I'm am I'm a big fan as well. I had the opportunity to interview his daughter Nora Bateson um, on this on this podcast. A few months ago, um, and you know she's continuing his work to a, a, a very um, significant degree at the Bateson Institute, which she runs, um, and she's written her own book as well, which we talked about on the, on the podcast. It was a great conversation, um, and uh, you know, so she, you know she she brings so much of that that just sensibility and um, and caring that he, you know he brought to the the work. Um, and you do say that, uh, you know, you, you feel like his work is starting to be understood and appreciate, appreciated, but it's still a work in progress. Um, and then you say, perhaps it is only now as ecological disaster becomes more and more pressing that Bateson's originality and importance can begin to be fully appreciated. I couldn't agree with you more on that. And, um, you know, one of the the things I struggle with quite often with with systems thinking, is is how we bring it into how do how we bring it into the mainstream. How we um, I've used the term sometimes with, with with in conversations. How do we smuggle it in? <laughs> um, and and you know because it is so um, needed and um, and under uh, understood. Not it's misunderstood. Okay. In, in my in my opinion, in a lot of kind of mainstream or you know corporate uh, uh, circles, um, so I, I'd love you to just kind of talk about what you what you mean by that. Uh, let's just focus on, on on Bateson for a couple of minutes.
2: So I think particularly the um, what I was thinking of in that context, there was a 1968 conference um, called a conference on conscious purpose in human adaptation. I think, mm-hmm. um, held in a kind of grand castle in Austria, probably, maybe Germany, um, and Bateson brought together this bunch of people from kind of broadly cybernetics areas um, to talk about the way that our understanding of the, the way in which we viewed the world, the way in which we had a conception of mind, had a conception of uh, well, of ecology as we say now, but but you know of, of the relationship between human beings and nature. Um, that that was putting at risk the the whole nature of society, the the whole future of our world. And he kind of lays this out, and and there's an, an incredible book that uh, Mary Catherine Bateson edited um, which is a kind of well theoretically it's conference proceedings but it, it reads almost more like an, a novel or something because it's it's mm. kind of a complete narrative of, of all of the things that these people are saying at, at the conference and, and some of it's very moving in places um, and this yeah, there's this kind of prescience about it. Uh, and, you know, you have to think this, this what if kind of thoughts that that conference was more than 50 years ago. Um, mm-hmm. If anyone had actually been listening to it. Um, and even now, the idea that the climate emergency might lead us to behave a little bit differently. Many people will accept that. Um, But it's still only at the level of kind of, you know, changing your light bulbs and possibly buying a um, hybrid car or something. Um, Mm -hmm. But, but, you know, the the idea that we we need a fundamental mental shift in the way in which we conceive of humanity and and its relationship to the planet um, is... It's a very long way away from the way that that people are thinking in general uh and I think that was just so kind of present in in the way that that Bateson was writing in 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 putting together that conference um, but in a, in a bunch of his other his other writings as well the um he has this extraordinary set of um images about um the relationship between the uh what counts as a, as a human consciousness or a human mind and he talks about uh, a blind person with their stick and the fact that mm. the stick effectively is part it's not only obviously part of their body but but is is essentially part of their consciousness as well um that their right. mind is expanded to that extent um and this sort of—he uh, talks about the, the the pattern that connects. Is, you know, Bateson is very quotable in terms of pithy little phrases, part, partly yeah. because yeah. The, the whole is quite difficult to approach, but the phrases are really good. Um, and so he talks about what is the pattern that connects me to you, and you to the starfish, and to the galaxy, and um, I forget all of his other examples in. Nora Bateson has this lovely film about her father's life, and she she mm-hmm. she she reads that out at the beginning of the film. Um, this this quote about the the patterns and uh, yeah, and and this sort of sense that, that that he's kind of constantly getting a sense of pattern. I, um, a story about that actually. I was in Cambridge last week, um, Cambridge, England where um gregory bateson was born and grew up and his father was um professor of um professor within the zoology department um he he coined william Bateson. he coined the term genetics um and we were in the the museum of zoology in, in um in cambridge where i didn't see any of william bateson's artifacts we saw some of Charles Darwin's artifacts there, which is rather amazing. Um mm-hmm. but but you know, the um the sense of uh this sort of sense of pattern um that you see in throughout Bateson's work, um it, it kind of Bateson did some of his uh, his early graduate work in, in zoology within that same department. And the kind of sense that he's constantly making connections. And, You know, I think this this is something that that is so precious to me about so many people within the systems traditions, of of seeking connections, seeking kind of unlikely connections between things,
1: mm-hmm. and then
2: having this incredibly broad set of perspectives upon the world. Um, the the number of people in our um, in our book who were poets is is really striking. Um, who who, as well as having Done lots of academic work. Were are p- producing volumes of poetry as well, or art, or um, having a really sort of deep um, religious life. You know, there's there's a sort of sense that that these are you can't somehow not go. Oh, sorry, double negative. Um, by going deeply into uh, these systems, ideas that it somehow creates a roundedness in a person. And and the people who who really express it best somehow there there's that kind of roundness in them as as human beings as well, which yeah. you see in Gregory Bateson but but you see in so many of of the other people I think
0: yeah that r- really came through for me in in your book um, I really appreciated uh, what you provide. To help me get to know some of these people and uh, what was sort of behind the the, the drive, um, you you talk about West Churchman uh, being driven by his moral outrage, mm-hmm. and uh, and and you know as you mentioned, uh, you know there were there were there were several who you know were were deeply religious, and there were the, and there were there were many with with ideas. Uh, you know, I'd never heard of the name Odom before, and mm-hmm. and you talked about the, the Odom brothers and. And they weren't without controversy um, yeah. in, in in their approaches. So I'd love you to like talk a little bit more about what you what you discovered and and what you know some of these personalities. And they were such um, you know they were such catalysts for for this this work. But as you say, so much of it came from who they were and what they just you know what was deeply you know driving them.
2: Um. Ooh. I want to sort of give a story, and I'm trying to think of a, of something that, that kind of works.
0: Yeah, I just really appreciate the the inside scoop that you that you bring. Um, so yeah, I, I'd love love to hear what you know what fascinated you, or if there, um, you know, there was something in particular that that just was you know really stuck with you. While you're thinking about that, let me come back to I, I, I loved when you said Bateson and his you know pithy phrases, <laughs> and um, those are powerful. Uh, and 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 there are others as well. Um, you know, not just from Bateson, but the whole idea of powerful words and phrases like messes and wicked problems. Um, you know, speaking of, of, of churchmen, I believe mm. he coined the the term wicked, wicked problems and, and the power of those, I mean, maybe, maybe it's, it's some of those very accessible, you know, punchy, uh, <laughs> if I can use the, the you know, like taglines that, that maybe will, will, would we'll have the potential to make systems thinking kind of really land with, with, mm-hmm. with people mm-hmm. that need to <clears throat> embrace it.
2: But th- there's also this sense in which they, those are phrases that come from a particular time and a particular era. Um, so you're mentioning about uh, churchmen and the term wicked problems. Um, I mean, that term is more associated with people who, the people who actually developed the idea, Horst and Rittle, I think. Um, they, they're kind of, um, you know, they're the ones that, that get the name for it. And I think Churchman gave it, you know, he co- he coined the term, but not the idea so much. But he, he did it at a time when um, Ross Ackoff was uh, coined the term mess for a situation that's kind of intractable, uh, mm-hmm. and which is where the boundaries are very kind of fuzzy. And almost at the same time, Donald shen was just was, was talking about uh, the swamp the, the swampy lowlands in which practice occurs um and you know this is all kind of the early 70s roughly that that was being done um at at a time where um uh because the, these are all three people working in the u.s um so so at a time when american society was really in a bit of a crisis point and and they didn't there was a strong sense of lack of direction and and kind of everything was really really complicated um and then a sense of where is where are things going where can things go um and so so that sense of of multiple different ways of approaching this this idea of, of uh flux of instability of constant change of lack of stable boundaries these kind of things i think that's something that um in a sense, these these are metaphors, and they're they're attempts to, to kind of get through to to a deeper a deeper reality. Um, but but they, I guess, the fact that there there are several parallel ideas at the same time is often really important. A, a similar version of that, um, I think, we quote um, Margaret Mead saying that in the 1940s um, there wasn't a single person who didn't have um, a folder uh, that said I've forgotten her phrase but so that, that talked about feedback loops effectively
1: mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm.
2: That, uh, that didn't have a folder that was understanding the, the kind of um, the looping interconnected nature of causality um, and that in the kind of early to mid 40s that that was such a central concept in in a whole set of disciplines um, and that that then directly fed into the work that was initially called um circular causality and and subsequently termed cybernetics you know and and so i think the these kind of parallel streams of ideas that we that we see at various times are really important and and like you say the if if we can find ways for today that can do the same thing but that mm-hmm. can kind of express um express really kind of crucial central ideas, that then I think that's really important and
0: yeah. could be a yeah. good
2: contribution.
0: I, I I really agree with that and um I, you know, it's, it's personally an area where that I'd, I'd like to explore more. So, um, you know, maybe we can have another conversation about that. I do want to say that, um, I've mentioned that you've organized the book by the groupings and you have the various, um, thinkers kind of organized by, you know, early cybernetics, uh, soft systems and so on. Um, and it's not, it's not chronological. However, as I was reading it, I do feel like. I was experiencing, oh, OK, there's a little bit of a shift starting to occur here and kind of a building upon. And I, I guess the first time I, I experienced that was in the systems dynamics section at where it feels like, OK, like we're actually going to start to put this to work. And you have in that section um, Danella Meadows, Dana Meadows, um, someone else who, uh, you know, tragically uh, passed away. Uh, some time ago, but at such a young age, you know, before her work was done and, um, you know, her, her work around, you know, um, the, the points of leverage in the system and that kind of, thing is just so, so powerful and so usable. I, I've, I've seen applications of it, um, in, in so many creative, um, ways. And, uh, so can, can you spend a couple of moments on, on, on her and, um, and, and why you included her in the book?
2: Um in a sense we couldn't not include her in the book. Right. Um, I mean uh not least actually. So the, the single reason why she has to be in the book is because um of the work that she did on limits to growth, um the sometimes referred to as the Club of Rome report, although it isn't it isn't it isn't. Um but the work that was done in the, the early nineteen seventies on um modeling global change through system dynamics, Um, an entire model of of the world of population, uh, natural resources, economies, um, and basically coming to the conclusion that um, we had a limited amount of time as a planet. before we would run out of of all the resources that we had. Um and this was done through through computer modeling and um and but it was Donella Meadows' book, Limits to Growth, that, that became really widely read um as as a kind of a bringing out of those ideas um and of of the various books of the early environmental movement. Um, you know, there were others before it that, that were also influential, but this was mm-hmm. one that that had a real kind of um, scientific and and quantitative basis to it that, that I think really opened a lot of people's eyes in in the early seventies. Um, so so that in itself made made um, Meadows' contribution uh, really important. But but she was just such an interesting person, and I mean, she she went on to to write. A simply extraordinary book and um, called The Electronic Oracle about the nature of modeling um, and, and why and some of the things that um, other people within the system dynamics community have, have subsequently said, really, about models being kind of both brilliant and limited simultaneously. Um, and and also she she wrote um a weekly column. Uh, for something what was it called? The column was called the Global Citizen. I think it was syndicated in newspapers or something like that um mm-hmm. and really, really lovely expressions of kind of environmental issues um in the eighties and nineties um online you can see kind of collections of these things um and her 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 writing is just gorgeous about mm-hmm. um you know, t- taking lots of insights from system dynamics, but but really kind of drawing them out within the environmental context. Um, and I I really like as well. Um, I talked about the roundedness of some of the people um, that are in the book, and I really like the way that Meadows kind of lived this out. So she um, she bought she she moved from Cambridge, Massachusetts to to live in a farm um she sort of you know created a community um so that she could survive as as a, as a person um and she she was very sort of generous and giving um and there's this real sense that that she's sort of constantly living out her ideas um there's it's Oh, I had a really good word for it at some point, but it's, it's the opposite of hypocrisy, if you know what I mean. You know, yeah. it's 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 kind of being completely congruent um, right. b- between your your ideas and your life, and I think Meadows yeah. shows that so well. And and then the um, the leverage points work that you that you mentioned um, that she was putting that together um, when she suddenly died, um, and then. Some years later, some years after her death, it, it came out in this book called Thinking in Systems, and and mm. that's just such a lovely book, such a lovely introduction to systems thinking. I, I, yeah. I sometimes think if if there was a single one kind of book on applied systems thinking, then I would say read read Donella Meadows' Thinking in Systems. It's such a nice book.
0: Yeah, well, thank you for that because that was going to be one of my questions. It was uh-huh. I, I wanted I wanted to ask you like you know where we we have a lot of listeners uh, and 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 I'm really pleased that we're drawing a lot of listeners to this podcast channel who are less familiar with systems thinking and it's really nice to be able to say hey here's where to start and here are some of these interesting stories um, around um, how systems thinking came to be and. And how it came to um, become part of practice in in a lot of different areas, and how it's relevant to um, your world and and I'm that's my personal mission is to to try to facilitate that. And so I would agree with you. I, I I think that that Meadows is is an absolutely beautiful place to start. And I think you know one of the things I really appreciate about her is this this sensibility she she brings um, just around. Just you know the individual and uh, our um, our role um, in the world. Um, her uh, visioning exercises are powerful and 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 beautiful. And uh, it 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 may be a surprise to people who who think of systems thinking in a particular way to discover uh, Danella Meadows. So I, yes. I appreciate oh. your your what you brought to the conversation about her. Um, I also would love to talk a little bit about um, this, what I sort of see as another major, and you've already touched on this a little bit, but um, around second order cybernetics. And and when that really started to, we started to see that kind of take hold with uh, Von Forster and of course Stafford Beer. Mm -hmm. Um, By the way, in an upcoming um, uh, podcast podcast, uh, I will be sharing my interview with his daughter Vanilla Beer, and and it is oh fantastic. Uh, yeah, it's it's a little more focused on 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 Stafford the person and uh, and really his experiences. Um, mm. So I'm I'm excited to share that one. But talk a little bit about this this next sort of wave um, and what second order cybernetics really did, what it accomplished, what it's still accomplishing.
2: Mm-hmm um so I, I i have a reaction to the term second order cybernetics sometimes because um I have a sufficiently mathematical enough background that i i mm-hmm. want to hear that as um as a, a set of interlocking brackets you know it's the cyber- uh-huh. it's, the, it's the cybernetics of cybernetics so yeah. you you're applying cybernetics to itself and it's second order in that sense um and Um, I think Heinz von Furster said that um, first order cybernetics is the cybernetics of observed systems and um, second order cybernetics is the cybernetics of of observing systems. So insofar as cybernetics is all about feedback, um, you're kind of applying that feedback back to the system that's doing the observing. So the observer is then drawn into the system um i i react slightly against the way in which i i occasionally read um people write about second cybernetics or 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 write as though it's kind of superseded the the original sorts of cybernetics
1: mm. mm-hmm.
2: and it's p- par- partly because i i'm so passionate about some of the early cyberneticians um but um I think it's it's different from just saying so so we were careful in our book to distinguish between early cybernetics and later cybernetics. And to some extent, the people who are in the later cybernetics category are also those who are working within second order cybernetics. And to some extent they're not, you know. Um, but but this idea of of turning cybernetics on itself um becomes really powerful and and has led to um, lots of kind of, it's led to lots of stuff that's very philosophical um, and interesting from that point of view. Um, so Warren McCulloch, who was the leader of the Macy conferences, he has this phrase experimental epistemology um, and von Furster um, had been close to McCulloch. And, he, and I, I think what he's doing what, what von Furster was doing, was kind of taking forward that idea of an experimental epistemology, of understanding the nature of knowledge and of the world by, um, by constantly looking at ourselves. Um, there's a risk that that becomes a bit, um, well, so it, it does become circular, <laughs> literally, um, because it's all about circularity, but the, there's the risk it becomes a bit too inward looking. Um, and so, actually, the, the the people in second order cybernetics that excite me most, I think, are the ones who have tried to apply that directly to practical problems. Um, so, especially, actually, actually, my my favorite of of all the people in the book of that sort is um, Paul Vatslavik, who was a um, psychologist, a psychotherapist, um, and he he kind of acts in the book partly in his own right and partly as as an, as an exemplar of other people working within family systems therapy who have taken the ideas of second order cybernetics and as a really really rich tool to to understand the way that um group dynamics particularly within families but also within any kind of group situation kind of from um, you know Gets so very convoluted. Um, Vatslavic has Vats was from Austria, and he he has a book that um, I've loved for years called "The Situation Is Hopeless But Not Serious," mm. which is a, a kind of quote from the mm. one of the, the mottoes of the Austrian army, apparently. Mm.
1: Um,
2: and and he kind of lays out the 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 way in which people's minds get so sort of worked up in that uh, in kind of knots about not knots is not his term that's the term of um rd lang who doesn't appear in our book but, but is again another of these people psychotherapists who have been deeply influenced by this kind of second order conception of of the human mind um so yeah i i, I really appreciate um stafford beer would be would be an example of somebody else who's who's applying um well he's applying a bunch of approaches of cybernetics but including second order cybernetics to um to really practical problems in his case around um the, this organization of the, the way in which you construct organizations the way in which you construct economies and societies um and he does that with such sort of uh, richness and depth yeah um and so I think um, there's a sort of, yeah, there, there, there's a real kind of, it's quite difficult, second order cybernetics. I, I, I confess that there are points where I, I've hung around with people who are doing it in, in the modern times, and, and I listen to them, and I think, this is really hard. I really mm, can't, yeah. you know, you, you have to sort of, um, get your, get yourself completely into their way of thinking for it to um for it to work at all. I find that especially another person who's sadly just um passed from the world Umberto Maturana mm-hmm. um I I find his writing it's it's so compelling and so groundbreaking, but it's also really difficult, you know, and you can only get Matarana by by kind of getting yourself right inside his way of thinking and just living it. I think is the only way to, to, for it to make any sense at all.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We do have to start to wrap up the conversation, but there are a couple of things I'd still love to discuss with you. Um, maybe really quickly. Um, and you've touched on this a little bit already. Um, but, um, you know, kind of given what we're experiencing today from the climate crisis, we've touched on that social justice issues, the pandemic, which we're still in the midst of, um, you know, of the thinkers and and the work that they represent, where do you see the most potential and and relevance for the big messes or wicked problems whatever expression we we want to use to to describe what we're experiencing where do you see the the most promise from the um, contributions of these of these of these thinkers
2: uh so some of them we've talked about already i've already said that i think there's there's a lot of um strength to be had from the work of gregory bates and around the climate crisis um, uh, likewise around Donald Schoen and instability in, in society um, I think West Churchman is somebody else that I would name um, because he, he has a, a great historical interest of, of being the first one of the first people to kind of bring ideas of ethics in particular into what was the, the corner of systems that he was working with mm-hmm. was, was really quite dry and mechanistic and he brings a sort of sense of, of humanity, and you, you used the phrase moral outrage earlier. And I, I think Churchman could do with being read some more, um, just because of his because of his sense of compassion, because of his sense of um society needing to be changed, um in a completely different line. Um, I actually think Norbert Wiener has things that aren't proper aren't well enough read um wiener in his later writings particularly that there's a real sense of kind of um of wrestling with the fact that he had um he he has a little book about the golem um and and it's I think we might read it now as as a metaphor for something like artificial intelligence or or surveillance mm. capitalism, and, mm. and and he he was sort of so aware that he had been responsible partly for um creating um technological systems or or putting in place a, an intellectual environment that created a, a whole set of um ways that computer systems became prominent in society. Um, and he was just so aware of the kind of the potential for harm in those. Um, and so I think with concerns around um, surveillance and the, the potential harms from artificial intelligence, rereading Wiener is, is really worthwhile.
0: Right. That's great. Great advice. Um... We're going to wrap up now. Um, this has been a fantastic conversation. And uh, just in, in as, a, as my little uh, reaction and contribution to, to this, your response to the last question, um, I don't know very much about Werner Ulrich, um, but there's a quote that you provided um, in the book, uh, and it, which has made me want to go read him, um, which is, uh, systems thinking as if people mattered. And I love that. And so that's inspired me to go uh check him out a little bit more. So um uh, that's that's one I'll 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 take away. So I, I really appreciate that. So Magnus, this has been fantastic. I, I really appreciate the time you've taken to talk with me. Um the book, you know, I have to admit, when I cracked it open, I kinda went, Wow, this is this is a lot, <laughs> and I think that um, you know it, it took us a little bit of time to get this this interview set up, but it actually gave me more time to really immerse myself in 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 the book, and so I, I really appreciate it. And I've developed uh, an appreciation um, for these thinkers, a deeper appreciation for for many of these thinkers that I didn't have before, um, and so that's that's really excellent. So I want to thank you so much um, for thank you the book thank and you for very
2: thanks very much for your time it's i mean the the thing i would say in closing is in relation to what you've just said that uh, the book took a long time to write and it it was part of um my co-author Karen and i had this uh, a conversation that felt that lasted for about 10 years about these different people and what their importance was and trying to tease it out and and that that would be my my greatest encouragement to anyone who has this book or is interested in these people to talk with other yeah. people about them, you know, and to try and make them part of the conversations and the dialogue that you have mm-hmm. with other people, because there's mm-hmm. such interesting ideas and such interesting people, but they need yeah. to be brought to life. You know?
0: Yeah. 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 I I agree with you. Well, thank you very much again. Thank you. So you've been listening to my conversation with Magnus Ramage, author of Systems Thinkers, second edition. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Systems and Cybernetics. Until next time, goodbye.